Welcome to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast, Episode 3. I'm Joel Payne from Resound Worship. I'm Sam Hargreaves from EngageWorship.org. And this is a podcast to equip, train and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. Every episode we'll be dissecting a classic song, focusing on technique in the workshop and bringing you interviews with some of the finest worship songwriters around. And we'll be responding to your tweets, Facebook messages and emails. Sam, here we are. It's episode three. I think that probably, do you think that makes us veterans yet of the podcasting scene? Oh no, this is just, this is just the beginning, Joel. Oh, do you think so? I was hoping we might soon get to that stage where we release a kind of compilation of top clips and <laughs> bloopers. Bits, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plenty of bloopers. On that week that everyone has off. <laughs> uh, so episode three, this week uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Rim Morgan and Ben Fielding's very popular song, Mighty Save. Uh, Sam, you're going to be helping us to think about mining a theme mm. in the workshop. And we've also got a second half of our interview with Mr. Kendrick. Excellent. So it's good stuff. Sam, uh, let's find out what have you been up to since last time. So Sarah and I run this thing called engageworship.org and we do resources uh, for worship, mostly kind of creative stuff, some songs, but the difference with res- uh, to Resound is that we mostly do things like prayers, visual stuff, um, reflective ideas, that kind of thing. And we've launched uh, an area of the website called Area 52, a bit of a uh, play yes. on Area 51, um, but it's the idea of a guy called Bob Hartman, who's an American. Uh, he's an amazing storyteller. He wrote the the Lion um, Storytellers Bible, which is like a bestseller. Yeah. Um, he's if you part of Spring Harvest ever, uh, you've probably seen Bob Hartman on on the main stage. He's super popular. I've, there. I've seen him. He's really yeah. He's brilliant. He's he? excellent. And basically, came up with this idea: what if we, what if he wrote uh, a creative reading for every week of the lectionary, which is like the the set readings that is used by mostly kind of um, churches who follow uh, the the liturgy and and the church year. They will use these set readings every week. Uh, and he said, well, what if I created a creative reading out of each of the weeks of the liturgy? And so that kind of grew. And now we've got this area of the website where for every week of the lectionary, uh, there's multiple ideas. We've got visual stuff. Uh, we've got prayers, poems, yeah. uh, PowerPoints, and it's just growing. So we're really excited. It, the cool thing is that we're launching it um, with advent because the beginning of the church year is is advent so yeah uh, in a couple of weeks time from when we're recording this uh end of november um there's a whole load of new advent resources and christmas resources so if people are interested they can go to engageworship.org slash area 52 nice uh what have i been up to I, a couple of things um i wanted to share with you sam one is uh, i went to see a friend of mine we had a weekend away me rhiannon and huck we went down to some friends uh who a vicar friend and a lovely weekend together and we were talking just at one point as we often do slightly in the conversations about some of the frustrations of being a vicar mm-hmm. and um the fact that in our sort of it's not true of all churches but in lots of churches that have more sort of contemporary worship the vicar doesn't really choose the songs and it's slightly at the mercy of the worship leader and you never quite know what they'll come with each week. <laughs> and kind of bemoaning one or two of the more popular choices yeah um and and then interestingly i was comparing that to a couple of weeks ago we had a confirmation service at our church and um i remember about sort of halfway through the, the service turning to Rhiannon saying these are brilliant songs in this service and i turned back and said 
I wonder if the vicar chose them. <laughs> so I saw him afterwards and I said, oh, Michael, it was a brilliant set. I really thought it was a great service and great songs. Did you choose them? Uh, he said, yeah, I did actually. <laughs> and it's, so it's but really got me thinking about where do we get this idea that vicars can't choose songs? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? it it's just sort of crazy. Um, these people who are theologically trained, called, ordained, anointed, however you want to look at it, to pastor and, and feed a congregation of, of people um, and to enable them in worship. And so I kind of, I really encouraged him and said, well, look, I think you should, I think you should be a bit bolder and sometimes pick some more songs. If you think there's a song we need to sing, you you should say it and we should sing it. I think you start a revolution, Joel. Do you think so? I mean, I've had people in my worship teams, because I'm happy, uh, generally I will kind of work with the the pastor or whoever and uh, and and generally unless they're really difficult well there are occasionally yeah. you know vicars and pastors or whatever who really just they either don't get it or musically they've got no idea that one song just won't flow into yeah, the next yeah. or this is too yeah. difficult or nobody knows this but generally you know I'll, I'm very open but I've had members of worship teams who will get really upset even with a suggestion you know maybe we could possibly have this song and they get you know i don't know you're right it's it's a strange thing to think that we have this divine right to choose yeah uh, my my other thing is that i've been thinking about and i thought you could help me with this sam is I, i'm a bit sl- i'm quite a slack songwriter i often go for long periods without doing much mm-hmm. so i thought i'm thinking ahead to 2016 because it's coming rapidly yeah and i'm I've been trying to think about coming up with some sort of songwriting resolution mm. for 2016 about what am I, what do I want to try and do. And I think, I was trying to think realistically, maybe one song a month. If I could, I've got a few in the pipeline, which yeah. I'm very slow at finishing. And I had this idea about trying to do, trying to write, fin- kind of finish or basically by the end of the year have 12 songs that I've done, which doesn't sound like, doesn't sound like a vast amount, does it, for a year? That's in some ways, no, but then in other ways, it, it, it does sound like a lot. I, I mean, one thing I would say is whether you necessarily need to have 12 finished songs. Yeah. Or uh, th- that's one approach. The other approach is to say, write a song a week. Okay, yeah. But then be more selective about the songs that you actually bring. Say, you know, a song has to be 70% done Yeah. Um, by the end of the week. You know, actually, something that will be will come up. Um, I've also interviewed uh, Geraldine Latty. That is going to be an interview that's going to come up in the next um, couple of episodes. Yeah, and uh, she talks a lot about her process and how she um, goes from initially imp- improvising and then developing the song and then getting feedback. She's got a whole kind of structured process that her and her husband do. Uh, so maybe that will help you. <laughs> yeah. I think it'd be good. I'd like to do something like that. I think I'd like to try and we'll we'll pin this down over the next couple of episodes, but I'll, I'll try and work work out what I'm going to do. Maybe try and take on one or two of these ideas mm. that um, that the guys we're talking to have given us, and I'll be I can be a bit of a guinea pig, and then we can we can sort of track how it goes. Maybe Excellent. who knows? Maybe I'll write a good song. <laughs> So let's uh, just catch up on any correspondence. Most of our correspondence this time has been commenting on my remarkably deep voice when I had a cold. Um, my Kendrick-esque tones. He does have a very deep voice, doesn't he, when he, oh, when yeah. he talks. Um, but the other thing, really interesting email from a lady called Ruth King Goddard, who is a musicologist and worship pastor in Seattle. And she got in touch um, and passed on to me a paper that she'd written about well, it's called Who Gets to Sing in the Kingdom. It's something that's going to be published soon, and she's presented it at a conference. And it's 
it talks a lot about the the kind of performance culture of our of our uh, I suppose of our Western culture, but to some extent within our churches as well, which sets such unrealistically high standards for singing that people more and more people think they can't really sing or don't want to engage in it and so on. And it's a real just an interesting exploration of you know who is actually singing in church and and how can we enable them. So I think I think we'll interview Ruth because I think that would make a really Quite cha- it could be challenging, but she says some really helpful stuff. So thank you, Ruth, for sending that. And I, I'm, we're going to interview her, um, if she doesn't mind, and we'll present that on a later programme. Cool. It's time for Dissect a Classic. <laughs> and this week we are going to look at a... We're going to come a little bit more up to date than we have done. And it's not difficult from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And we're going to look at Reuben Morgan and Ben Fielding's Mighty to Save or Everyone Needs Compassion. Uh, first quick question, Sam. Yep. I like to call songs by the first line. Oh, what, yeah. what about you? Yes, absolutely. Is that just because it's better for filing? Yes. I, I. Well, yeah, I mean, you can get me started on this because I, I get really annoyed, especially when people give a song a title which possibly doesn't even occur within the song or occurs <laughs> yes. so obliquely kind of hidden away halfway through the third verse or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get really irritated by that. And I I think it's this move towards trying to make songs more like pop songs. So a pop yeah. song has a title. Yeah. Um, and I just don't get it. I think for me, I always, almost always call the song by its first first line. Yeah. It's a sort of it's a good test of your first line, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so this is one we're going to look at. Um, Mighty to save. So it's a it's a Hillsong's song, um, and uh, Reuben. I think Reuben is now now in London. He certainly was last time. Yeah, uh, I knew. And um, he and Ben Fielding written this one. It's a, you know it's definitely a modern classic. It's a it won the two thousand and nine Dove Award for the best worship song. Wow. <laughs> I guess the thing. Initially, I wasn't particularly struck by the song because it felt a bit like a jumble of lines. I mean, this is, you know, we normally start with a positive, don't we? <laughs> yeah. But, um, I, I guess, and I, I've come to to really love this song, and I've I've led it a lot, and I've had some, you know, I think, you know, lots of people have had deep moments with God, uh, either individually or as a as a congregation yeah. with this song. So. I, I do love the song, but I think initially I felt something I feel about quite a lot of Hill songs, which is it doesn't really have a central theme, and mm. the it's a, it's an interesting writing style where the lines aren't really connected one to the next. So it feels like I don't know whether it, this is right, but it feels like almost just a, a collection of random thoughts that are kind of strung together with a tune. Yeah, that was my initial thought. Anyway, yeah, okay. Well, we'll go with that. That's in- so. I guess that's interesting. Um, I I heard Ruben talking about this song a couple of years ago at a songwriters gathering, and uh, it was interesting hearing the process that he he wrote it with. So I think I'm writing. I can't remember this very clearly, but I'm pretty sure that the chorus came pretty quickly. Um, they had a few melodies here and Ben kicking around. They sort of put them together and they came up with this chorus. And I think it went through one or two permutations and they, they adapted the words a little bit. But they ended up with this kind of really strong um, chorus, strong lines and so on. And then um, he described how he came to writing the verses, which I find interesting for a, for a start because I often start with the verses. Mm. I rarely start with the chorus. And so what he did was he said he imagined, he thought, right, I'm going to imagine leading worship on a Sunday. And he stood up. 
physically stood up with his guitar, <laughs> held it, closed his eyes, and just imagined that he's leading the congregation and start to play, that what chords do I need to play to lead these people? <laughs> and so he came up with that, that little kind of set of four chords that he was yeah. going around. And it kind of, it created, I think he even uses this, but it sort of created, what do I, how do I set the right atmosphere musically? So that's what he did first. And then thought, what do people need to say? What, you know, what do we need to sing? And, <laughs> and he literally said, I thought, what does everyone need? <laughs> what, does, what does everyone need? Everyone needs compassion. And that's kind of, and that's where it started. And so, and so now this is interesting. It could, have got, agree, it could have got dodgy really there, couldn't it? Everyone needs, everyone needs coffee. Everyone really needs everyone coffee. Everyone needs a coffee. Everyone yeah. is looking really tired. <laughs> this is all in his imagination. That's a fairly sort of pessimistic imagination, isn't it? Um, I, I think, so this, this thing of um, starting, starting with an atmosphere I found that really interesting mm. and challenging, mm. and um, maybe I'll throw that into my into my twelve month writing challenge. Yeah, trying to learn to write with an atmosphere, and that's what happened. So this is, and I think Hillsong was a masters of this. The kind of the worship worship anthem that they they conjure an atmosphere with it, yeah, and true. so it grabs emotions really quickly. This song, mm. the moment you start playing the intro, it grabs your emotions, and then actually, the there's a sort of cascade of statements, and so I. It's, in many ways, I totally agree. It, it does seem just like a list of stuff, yeah. and it moves a bit between everyone and me and to the saviour. And it, it, yeah. it is a sort of it is a, like a list, but it's a list within which every sort of every line is quite evocative, yeah, and engaging, isn't it? Yeah, so it's almost more like a collage, isn't it, than a yes, and and probably pop songs and stuff are written a lot more like this. Whereas a worship song, I think we sort of expect maybe it comes from hymns, maybe it comes from Kendrick and Matt Redman and stuff, where they they very clearly sort of work their way through. And it's written, yeah, it's a song, but it's written kind of like prose in the sense that you've got all the little joining words. Yeah. You know, yeah. everyone needs compassion because da-da-da-da. Yeah. Uh, whereas this yeah, song, yeah. it kind of is a little statement, and then there's no joining words, it's just another statement yeah, um, which I suppose you know some people might find annoying, but I feel like with this song it does work. On a positive note, um, something I noticed was that the focus, in particularly on the chorus, is interesting. You say they started with the chorus. The focus is very much on God. Um, yes, Savior, He can move the mountains. Our God is mighty to save. And so, compared to some of the songs where it's me, I am worshiping. I am going to do this. I yeah. feel you, God. It's very much no. You know, chord one, Savior, boom, He can move yeah, the mountains. Yeah. That's the landing point. And then the verses are a bit more personal. So that you know, everyone needs compassion. And then I particularly like the second verse. Um, take you, take me as you find me, with all my fears and failures. And I must say. I've when I've led it, I've paused at that point and on a number of occasions and just felt, yeah, this is what God is, you know, wanting to to kind of minister to people is yeah. that actually He does take us, you know, as He finds us. He takes us um, as broken people. He, you know, while we're still sinners, Christ died and He He comes and meets us as we are. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is a sentiment, that sense of you know fears and failures. Yeah. That at least when this song came out was quite unusual to find in a in a contemporary worship song yeah um and it's becoming much more i just i listened through the the new tim hughes album the other day uh-huh. and he's called it a pocket full of faith and it's this, this idea of a sort of widow's might of faith and 
a lot of the songs are around this theme of when I fail, when I'm struggling, when I'm doubting. Uh, and I really like that, that the fact that that is becoming more common because actually that that's the gospel, isn't it? Yes, that God mm. saves us, but the, that we need saving, that we're not perfect, that we, yeah. uh, you know, we, we have times of doubt and struggle and, and hardship. And, uh, and I think that that's a good thing. And I think this song was, was quite a forerunner in actually sort of admitting that. It does actually expose the need, doesn't it? I mean, that, that, so the verses basically what what we need is compassion, love, forgiveness, a savior. Yeah. What we are are people who struggle with fear and failure and pick ourselves up and try and try and go again and so on. Yeah. And actually, in the response to that, this idea, this solid savior. Yeah. He can move the mountains. My, I mean, it's such strong stuff. I think, um, and th- as well for me, some of the ways those words are are linked to so the word saviour being so strong and solid and then there's those couple of um hooky bits on it mighty to save mm. mighty that's a, such a strong statement mighty to save mighty to save and then the same thing conquered the grave conquered the grave where yeah. you sing on your your kind of melodic highlight you sing your key moment exactly and i think i think that's what one of the things graham talked about in the interview as well isn't it sing your, your key thing on the melodic highlight and then i thought as well in the in the bridge just linking that bit, uh, singing for the glory of the risen King. Mm. That um, a leap. Matt Osgood is great on this. We'll get him to talk about this at some point uh, about leaps and um, movements by steps. And very often, the hook in a song is the bit that leaps. Mm. Um, a classic is in Robbie Williams' "Angels," and I can't even do it. And through yeah. it all, <laughs> leaps up to the stratosphere. But that's the that's the moment, isn't it? Um, but to have that hook leap and connect it to the word risen which is exactly what it is talking about it's really well put together yeah as it was the other thing lyrically that i was going to say is the, the emphasis on the risen resurrected savior um mm. as a criticism of of evangelical faith is that we have emphasized the cross at the expense of the resurrection yeah um and lots of our songs will talk about you've died for me on the tree now i'm free um, yeah, I might, I might have done that one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually that the resurrection doesn't get much of a look in. But this song, you know, it's got that really, um, uh, you know, you rose, you conquered the grave, the risen king, so that the emphasis on the resurrection is really there. And as you say, that leap to the highest note of the song, um, you know, and it's it's the fifth, it's a really strong tone yeah. in the in the scale. So... Yeah, I think they've done a really good job of of emphasising the kind of resurrected yeah. Christ. I mean, it, we we started off with, um, in some ways, we started off with a, a slight sort of critique, and it, and it certainly is a song that has come in for critique yeah. from people. And I found so, for example, there was a an article in Premier Christianity last year magazine where Martin Saunders and Andy Peck had a look at the basically was saying what is what are our songs actually saying and they kind of it was quite a critical article wasn't yeah. it i think it was designed to provoke and challenge but this was one of the ones they picked on and they particularly said um i'll just read a bit it says one of the most popular songs of the last decade centers on a strangely worded sentiment that could be misapplied in what other context would we say someone was mighty to save what might the non-religious person make of such jargon um and it, it goes on to say, and then, um, so that's Martin, that Andy responds, this line affirms the enormity of God's capacity to secure redemption for us, whatever state we're in, but it may be understood to mean that he's a superhero in all situations when, in the Bible, God sometimes gives conditions to his activity in our lives. I wonder what you thought of that critique. 
Well, I think the the immediate thing is it's a phrase from Zephaniah three seventeen. Yeah. Um, and I I do subscribe to the idea that just because you've quoted the Bible doesn't necessarily make it a good <laughs> yeah. line. Yeah. Um, my, one of my college lecturers was was fond of saying that the Bible says there is no God. Yeah. Uh, you know, because if you take it out of context, the bit where it says the fool in his heart says there is no yeah, God. Yeah, so you so, can, yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely possible. I I don't really, I'm not entirely sure that I buy, um, I like Martin Saunders a lot, but I'm not sure I buy his critique there. Um, I think it's, I think it's pretty clear. I'm not sure. I don't know, there's there's the mythical non-Christian who, yes. who doesn't understand anything. Who turns up in our church? Who turns up in our church and 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 says, "What do you mean he's my? What could you possibly? Mean? I'm not I'm not entirely convinced <laughs> by that. I think that the the context of the song um, is is enough to show you know the nature of his saving work. And I just think in a song you don't have the space to bring out every nuance. Yeah. So, on... I mean, I've certainly been asked before, "What does mighty to save actually mean?" Yeah. So I've got, so I have some sympathy with that, but, okay. I'm, I'm, but I have to say that I don't, I don't particularly agree with their critique of what people might think it means. Mm-hmm. That it, I'm not sure it conveys a superhero in in that way, um, but I do think it's good. I, I look at this song, and the thing I find most interesting is I wonder what we would have done to it if Ruben had been part of our group and had brought it to us. We'd possibly have ruined it. We might have ruined it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Would we have? We'd have wanted to glue the verses together more, wouldn't we? Yes. And I'm going to put. I'm going to put it out there that you can have a brilliant song that is the Dove Award winner 2009 or whenever it might be, best worship song in the world ever, mm. and it doesn't mean it couldn't actually be a bit better. Yeah, and I think the other thing I would I would sort of add to that is that. I'm not entirely convinced that this is going to be one of those staying around forever songs. Yeah. And I'm I'm not sure that's what generally Hill songs are trying to do. I think they want to be of them in it and they want to move on to the next thing. Um, and Ruben's talked to, I've, I've, heard, I've heard him talk about this as well. Basically he was writing it for his church. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the mentality. I'm trying to write a song for my church to sing. And that's where you start. And then where it goes after that is just, you know, it's not really up to you in some ways, is it? Yeah. Nice one. Well, there we go. We've dissected a classic song. Thank you, Ruben and Ben, for uh, Mighty to Save, Everyone Needs Compassion. Let's start with the first line. Let's move on to the workshop. Sam, you're going to uh, lead us through this one today. We said last week we would talk a bit more about this idea of mining a theme. So you want to just explain to us, Sam, what what we mean by that and then kick us off with some ideas. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I... I would want to say that a song should probably start with a bit of inspiration, uh, whether that's a, a fresh idea, whether it's a gap, oh, we really need a song that does this in our services, whether it's a the line of scripture or an experience you have or whatever. I think there's normally some sort of spark that gets things going. And I think we'll probably talk yeah. about that in another uh, podcast is where, where, where you get can that you get spark. those type yeah. of things from. But, my experience is that you might get that spark and you, you run to the guitar or the piano or you start writing things down and actually you can kind of run out of steam pretty quickly on that spark. Yeah. Um, so I suppose if we're, 
following through with the metaphor, you kind of have to add fuel to the fire at this point. You nice. can't just light a match. You've got to you got to throw in some some kindling and then some logs. And you've got to get it going. Or I guess the idea of mining is that you can go deeper into your idea. So yes, you might have been struck by, wow, you know. Um, god who created the 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 universe and yet he loves me and you kind of been struck by that and yet actually you can run out of steam you can kind of you know you write a verse maybe a chorus but then where else do you go and so the idea of mining a theme is to to kind of go deeper uh to give you a lot more ideas and material to work with and and also to kind of help you understand your idea i mean people um have said haven't they that to explain something simply you have to understand it profoundly yeah uh, and i think that's that's probably true is that the more you understand something the more simple you can be and you can explain it to a small child if you really if grasped it profoundly um yeah. and there's a few examples um that i i really like one is a lady called twyla tharp uh, Great name she's a choreographer um and she's written this book called the creative habit which i read a few years ago and it's basically. I have that book. Have you? I have that book. Yeah, have and you I read it? haven't. No, I haven't. Oh, come Do you know on, why? Because it's it's such a creative book that the text in it is laid out in a really strange way, <laughs> and I just I just can't cope with it. That's hilarious. Well, yeah. as part of your writing a song, I'm going to challenge <laughs> yeah. you to read the creative habit before okay. I come top. Um, but she has this idea of. Um, I'd remembered it as shoeboxes, but looking it up, it's actually, she uses those kind of file boxes. But I'm going to keep calling it as shoeboxes because I think okay. people are familiar with that idea. Um, but basically, when she starts a project, um, she writes the name of the project on a box and then she just fills it up with stuff related to the project. So she'll put notebooks in there, news clippings, yeah. CDs, videos of her dancing it through, that kind of thing. Yeah. Photographs, pieces of art. And uh, she says, you know, the the point of the book is that everyone expects a creative person to kind of have a flash of inspiration at midnight uh, and then suddenly, you know, they're they're going for it. But actually, she says, in practice, to be a creative person for the long haul, you need to have processes and you need to have structures uh, which organise your kind of creativity. And so this is part of this idea of mining is that could you as a... No, it doesn't have to be a physical... I've never done it with a physical box, but I tend to have some pages in, in a notebook that I start to write down loads of ideas and uh, and to really kind of mine the theme and, and just, you know, you might call it mind mapping, but it could be, I don't know, it could be a document on your computer or open a folder if you're if that's how yeah. you work. Um, you could start... People do... Um, what's that website? And people do like a, a mood board thing. Yeah. Uh, Pinterest, Pinterest, exactly. You yeah. know, if you're, if you're very visual, you could start a Pinterest page for your for your most recent song. Um, but it's somehow she says um, basically that when she gets dry with a project, she'll go back, she'll open the boxes up again, and she'll start to look through them, and she'll start to get inspired. Um, the other person that I found super inspiring is I don't know if if people are aware of a, a songwriter called PJ Harvey. I think I remember. Was, did PJ Harvey do Set Adrift on Memory Bliss? No. Oh, that's PM <laughs> no, Dawn. No, I've never heard of PJ Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> Who did that one then? That was PM Dawn. PM Dawn! Yeah, no, oh, she's a go. white woman Brilliant. from England. Hang on a minute. Than... Did PJ Harvey do Let's Get Ready to Rumble? Uh, that was PJ and Duncan. Okay, you carry on. And it's nothing about pyjamas. Um, no, she's uh, a woman from England and she's... Um, 
yeah, she's won a couple of Mercury Music Prizes actually for her albums, and one album was called Let England Shake. And she basically went nuts. Uh, the whole theme of the album was war, and she went nuts researching war yeah. all over the world. She went and interviewed veterans. She went and visited sites. She reckons on one particular, I think it's one particular battle, she researched up to MA level on one particular battle. Wow. Um, yeah. And you can read about There's a Guardian. If you, if you Google it, there's a Gar- Guardian interview with her on this. And that basically she just went completely nuts. And the thing is, when you listen to the album, it may not be to everyone's taste, but um, she won a Mercury Music Prize for, for this album because it's so evocative. And, you you know, again, this thing of going deep, but then, you know, the lyrics are quite sparse. It's not, she hasn't written an MA uh, yeah. through her music. She's she's pared it back down again. But well, see, that's where it's starting to sound like, isn't it? Like she's going to end up writing an, an MA thesis in a in a song. Exactly. But that's, but that's not what's happened. No, and it's it's that thing of going deep and really immersing yourself in something, but then stepping back again and saying, "Okay, how can I bring this into a three-minute pop song?" Yeah. Um, and yeah, so uh, and the third third person um, is is a little bit uh, closer to our, our hearts here, our patron saint uh, Graham Kendrick. Saint Graham, uh, who yeah. you know, he's a great one for for researching his songs. And there's a story I can't exactly remember all the details, but that he. Um, he was writing about space and God being the creator of the stars and, and that he went and read a whole book on something like, is it supernovas or something? Yeah, like that? I remember that. I can't remember the details, but I do, do remember this actually kind of researching supernovas in order to just get the right. It, it, it was, it was partly just in order to unlock some language yeah. to just kind of try and find a way of saying something that he couldn't do based on the vocabulary that was at the forefront of his brain. That's great. I think that's such a great example. I've certainly done some stuff like this. I might talk about it another time. So working with the mood board idea, which mm. is a sort of similar, similar kind of idea. But I, I'm, what I'm really struck by the, the importance of this is that if I try and write a song on a particular theme, the only words I can find are the ones I usually use about it, That's and right. they're probably from other songs, and they're, they're probably all the same, and they're probably a list in order to come up with something that has any kind of poetry and, and and creativity or freshness, I need to just absorb some things. And that's part of what we're talking about. It's just lots of absorption. And I love this idea of having a Pinterest page <laughs> for writing a song because it's sort of counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah. Come up with a visual reference board to inspire you for your song. I think it's, I don't, I don't know how it works even, but you might, I mean, it might be lots of pictures of space. I don't know. It yeah. could be loads of stuff. I, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's, I think it's a great idea. Um, Let's try it, Joel, in 2016, our year of yeah. trying new crazy ideas for songwriting. Okay. Um, We're going to do a Pinterest page. We, we, we could make it public, couldn't we? Yeah. I'd, I'd have to join Pinterest. I, I might have joined already. I'll join Pinterest and we'll, do a, we'll try it for one of them and do sort of public things so that you can see what we're doing. Love it. <laughs> Love it. So other things other than starting a Pinterest page that uh, <laughs> this can include. I mean, one of the perhaps the most obvious one is um, is Bible study. Um, so that might be, you know, getting a load of commentaries about if you're writing on a particular verse, you might get some commentaries on a particular verse. Uh, generally, you have to go and borrow them from your pastor. That's my experience. Yeah. Um, well, you can do it online as well, can't you? Yeah, it? yeah, I suppose. There so are some good online ones. Brave New World. Um, but actually get into it. You know, what does this word mean? <coughs> Unlock something of, of uh, you know, what the, the passage means. And, and quite often yeah. you can get really inspired. But, oh, so that's what they meant. Or that was the context. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or broader, do a kind of word study. So, you know, just bang it into Bible Gateway. So 
I know there was an example, yeah. Joel. What was that song you were writing about forgiveness? Uh, yeah, I was trying to write a song um, about forgiveness. I was trying to write a confession song. I was particularly thinking, I was sort of imagining the the traditional confession in a in a sort of liturgical service and a song that essentially does the same sort of function. Yeah. And one of the ways I, I did that was literally to look up the word forgive on Bible Gateway and uh, and go through it. And, mm-hmm. and I just come up with a kind of pile of verses. But there was a bit, we were trying uh, trying to work out the chorus and I remember coming around to yours and we were... Um, we were jamming some ideas <laughs> and um, I've actually got I'm, I think I remember this that I've got this this great author I've got a good news chain reference bible which I got well I think when I was a student and, and have you have you used a chain reference bible uh, yeah the, the yeah. idea is that there's just kind of references in the margin that take you onto another verse that's a bit about a similar sort of thing and then you look at the references in the margin they take you onto and you could just you just work your way through the Bible. it's really interesting and it does actually because it Depending on what route you follow, it takes you off in slightly different directions. Yeah. And this one, I think it took me through this kind of forgiveness idea, took me through to, um, it was in Isaiah, wasn't it, somewhere? Uh, 4325. Thank you very much. Um, Where there was a line that said, so we're trying to think of a chorus, really. How do we we sum all of this up? All this confession, but that kind of, but we we know God will forgive us. We trust him to do it. And it said... Um, and yet I am the God who forgives your sins. I do this because of who I am. I will not hold your sins against you. And I found that inspiring and different because so often I want to then go on and explain forgiveness through the mechanics of it. Why does God forgive us? Because of the cross, because of his, mm. you know, because of what happened. Yeah. Rather than, and of course that's the, that's so key to it. But actually in a sense, as you step back about it, the ultimate reason is because of who he is it's a it's because of god mm. and him and I, I loved that and that so that's what we you know we played around with some ideas didn't we and came up with the chorus that that centered on that thing because of who you are we know you won't hold our sins against us yeah so that sense of kind of doing some bible study getting an idea but also getting some fresh revelation i think it's that's really key mm. Um, and then obviously stuff like reading books around the subject, um, listening to, you know, sermon recordings or podcasts. Um, this was how I got to the song um, Let Us Kneel at Calvary, which is one of mine on the Resound uh, website, mm. which is uh, basically listening to a lot of Tim Keller. I went through a, a mad kind okay. of t- Tim Keller phase. <laughs> um, and what Tim Keller is so good at is giving you different angles on the cross. Yeah. So he basically pretty much all his sermons are this is this problem that humanity has. Yeah. And he generally gets it from some part of the Bible. Yeah. And then he says, and this is how Jesus fulfills it on the cross. And I, yeah. If you start to get into it, it starts to get really good because you you start to see the Bible, the the cross from all these different angles. So yeah. Um, and so basically, having listened to a whole load of his talks, I just started to you know, write down a load of the ideas and, and, and particularly how the cross relates to, to me, to us today. So, um, uh, you know, he was stripped so we might dress in his robe of righteousness. Yeah. That was one of the lines of this idea that Jesus, you know, we, we need to be clothed in Christ and dressed in his robe of righteousness. And, but yeah, on the cross, he was, he was stripped. He was naked. Yeah. Um, Jesus drank our bitter cup pouring out his precious blood so it's the cup that we ought to have drunk and he was pouring out his blood and it's the the, all the resonances of that and so yeah it's maybe you know listening to some talks or some some lectures or some sermons that might be another way to kind of it's sort of going out and looking for them as well isn't it yeah not yeah and maybe 
possibly going in looking for some people who aren't your your usual uh, preacher. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good that's a that's a good way of doing it. Another way to do it is to look up other songs um, that already because p- partly because you don't want to just repeat what somebody's already done, mm-hmm. um, or or maybe you do. So, you, but you yeah. might want to do that. You might want to to go and look up an old hymn, or you might want to look up a nineteen seventies chorus and see how they expressed a particular theme. If you go to an old hymn book or song book, you can get a, a a theme index at the back. Yeah. So you can look at your theme and see what how others have written on it. Um, or it might be prayers. You know, we, you you mentioned about how you know forgiveness is done within a, a liturgical setting. I um, for my a song we've recently published on uh, Resound, um, we've come to our Father. My my theme was was honesty with God, and for a long time, I've been thinking around the Anglican prayer that goes, uh, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all yeah. desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. And so for me, trying to live within that prayer and what what does that mean that you know from god no secrets are hidden and you know to you all hearts are open um yeah i found that inspiring yeah i think the other thing um that i've seen geraldine latty do a uh, geraldine loose uh is um she calls it let's m- just be clear sorry G- geraldine latty or geraldine loose okay. is that what, what is the confusion well she's got married so people know uh, her as geraldine latty yeah and we there. know her as geraldine latty yeah of course do you want me to do that again no oh, okay i think that's useful Okay, sorry. Because <laughs> we keep calling it something different every time. Yeah, no, yeah, something I've seen Geraldine do is uh, that she will do this kind of mining of an idea, but she'll do it within improvisation. So we call it mining it on the fly. So um, she might take a theme or it might be a bit of scripture or an idea or a phrase. And then she'll sit at the piano and she'll just play any chords really she tries she talks about turning the edit button off so don't immediately start thinking oh those chords are rubbish or i've done those before but just jamming but then she will start to improvise words and she'll just kind of let the words almost take her down and and help her to to kind of um mine this theme so she might start seeing god's faithfulness every day every morning uh, and then she'll you know she'll just keep unpacking it and she'll do that with a with a, a recording device recording and she'll record about five minutes of that and then she'll go back and listen through and say what where did this word take me where did this phrase take me so yeah she'll actually be doing the mining but in the process of kind of improvising the song great it's another challenge yeah it's loads of ideas there for how to draw out a load of new stuff and so i'm i i'm interested in how we you, you you touched on it a little bit. How we avoid ending up with a massive essay. You know, you find out all these things, and I I do this occasion. I mean, I do it when I'm preaching. Sometimes I love I, I like the sort of the research for preaching, and then I want to tell everyone everything I found. And yeah, I can try to. How, how do you get from all of that stuff into something that's you know, appropriately sized? And I, mean, I suppose you could write a seven verse hymn, but. Or, but you might be never what you're aiming for. Yeah, I think the the challenge with this is to start small and then to go broad in your in your kind of research and your mining, but then to bring it back small again. That's the almost the hardest part of this, but the, the probably the thing that makes it um, most useful is to having got this whole big mind map or Pinterest board or shoebox, whatever you're doing. Yeah. To then say, okay, having looked at all that, what is the heart of this? What is the thing that mm. really excites me? What is the thing that um, 
that I really want to say. And what a, a lot of um, the, the books uh, that I've I've read on songwriting say is to try and get it down to a sentence. Yeah. If you can't express it in a sentence, then you haven't really got there yet. And I know that you we... Don't, you don't know what it's about, do you? Exactly. If you can't express it in a sentence. And we do this with, the res, with, with each other with, within the Resound Songwriters is that, you know, maybe I'm writing a song and Joel will say, okay, so Sam... What is this song about? And if I say, (laughs) it's kind of about the cross, but it's also about the fact that we don't care for God's creation enough. And then it's also about this thing that happened to me the other day. If I'm doing that, then actually I haven't got the the, the thing down to enough of a a point. And I should be able to say, it is about this, 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 like in in one sentence. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's just somehow funneling all this. Um, and, and actually being prepared to say, you know, maybe there are four or five songs within this research and that's fine. Yeah. But my song needs to, this, this one song that I'm writing right now needs to be clear. And so I'm going to kind of let all of this stuff inform me, uh, but I'm not going to put every every aspect of it into the song. Thank you, Sam. I think we're going to, we'll leave that there. Mining a theme. That's great. So that's the workshop for this episode. We'd love to hear from you, um, our listeners. Uh, we're interested in if perhaps you've got some ideas about how you've developed songs, how you've mined a theme. Uh, we'd also be interested to hear, you know, what would you like us to cover in the workshop? Is there a particular aspect of songwriting or um, a particular issue that you want us to look at? So do get in touch with us on that. And in the final part of our podcast, this time we're going to listen to part two of our interview with Graham Kendrick. Uh, and it's it's there, you know, and eventually, <laughs> finally, the angel yeah. has chipped out of the block of mine. Wow. Well, hopefully that's encouraging to people listening that they can think, yeah, that idea that I've been plugging away at. Mm. I was going to ask, actually, because I, I know that you're someone who crafts and chips away, and but have you got any tips for people who feel like maybe they've overworked something. I mean, for us in the resound <laughs> process, we peer critique. Yeah, and particularly yeah. when something goes 12 rounds on the web forum. Yeah. And then someone will go, oh, you know, you guys have killed this. <laughs> um, Thanks a lot. Yeah, exactly. And so have you got any tips for, do you, do you know when something's been overworked or do you have any mechanisms for that? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, this is my problem. This is what I do. <laughs> I get obsessive, you know, and I, I, you know, it's a little bit like the botanist who, you know, picks apart a flower and ends up with these shreds yeah. and, and the beauty's gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, you know, again, I, I think taking something into, because a lot that happens inside your own head, you know, mm. but once you sit down with somebody um, and sing the song, actually suddenly you see yeah. things you didn't see before. Yeah. So, you know, what you can do, you just get a, if, you, if you've got a few uh, friends who are, you could even do it over Skype, but have a sort of little songwriting circle mm-hmm. where, you know, you just sit around and the idea is you each play a song and then you kind of give some positives and then maybe some room for improvement each. And, and it's not a co-writing session, it's just mm-hmm. a, a, a mutual kind of, benefit bouncing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. songs off each other and getting a perspective yeah. if only the perspective of having a little audience to yeah. sing to yeah. and suddenly things just sound seem very different mm. um, That's really good I think it's good also to work um, 
you see, you know, I'm a particular kind of personality. I'm in that sort of analytical perfectionist type of person. And I'm aware that uh, a lot of writers are not like that at all. You know, mm. I mean, there's I don't know how many personality types there are, but you know, <laughs> that's that's how that's the number of different songwriters you have. You know, yeah, yeah. and some are very uh, spontaneous and from the heart. It's all about the feeling, yeah. and they don't really care about the accuracy <laughs> of the words. Um, but I do. You're tearing the hair out. <laughs> yeah, I am. So that's actually, if you can make it work without punching each other um, that's quite a good combination because uh, what I often lose is the feeling yeah yeah you know Uh, but the other person you know probably needs my input to to actually take them to task on that's nonsense Mm. or you know you've jumped from the first person to the second to the third who's speaking here you know and who Mm. are we talking to and um, and uh you know, so those kind of um, partnerships, you know, can be can be very helpful. Mm. The co-writing thing, I've seen you've done it a lot in the yeah. last sort of few years, and it's, it seems to be becoming a lot more popular. How how do you deal with the sort of ego? Not that you have a big ego, Graham, but there is. You'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is always that kind of you know. Well, I mean, I. I could imagine there might be the temptation to say, you know, do you who do you know who I am, um, or just that thing of hang on, this is my baby, you know, I really worked on this, and then you're just bringing your nonsense lyrics. Um, <laughs> how? And, I, and, and it probably comes down to a sort of discipleship thing, almost of what how are you going to view this? And hmm. but have you have, have you learned in that, or have you got any tips for people who are thinking about? doing either co-writing or critiquing and struggling yeah I, th- I think you've got to be relaxed um, about your work and not be too precious mm. in that emotional sense mm. I think you can be precious in the sense of valuing what you've got but not emotionally precious uh, and sensitive um, and I was reading something the other day which was very wise someone saying you know when you're in a writing together you don't have to say anything um, in terms of assessing every single idea that comes through you can just hum you know just <laughs> just be positive mm, okay keep going keep going and and just let stuff flow yeah um, because we're all very sensitive and insecure yeah. and I think we have to set each other free mm. to just come out with really bad stuff yeah, yeah, now and again that's great without without you know being harsh about it but just recognising actually in private we do we all do that mm. why not admit that when I'm writing in private yeah I sing I come out with all sorts of really poor stuff you know and so does the other person yeah, yeah so yeah. why don't we admit that yeah and say right we're gonna the door's shut yeah you know um, let's just bring what comes and of course when you're free like that you can sing something and this often happens when I'm in co-writing that the other person sings something and they're just kind of improvising having a go trying something and I hear something that mm-hmm. I really like mm-hmm. and I stop and say hey do that again that no that bit there and and you know I've yeah. spotted something I like you know and and the other thing happens the other way around uh, stuff that I might maybe just pass on from someone else would hear 
something really special in it. Mm. So I think it's a matter of just being free um, and relaxed and, um, you know, quietening those other voices. And then in the end, I think if you if you have an understanding and perhaps sometimes you need to have a little bit of a conversation and, and say, look, you know, for, but this works both ways. Mm. If we're not happy, you know, if this idea I brought, if I, you know, I'm not really sure that we've got the best thing, then, you know, that's, if you like, I've got the veto. I suppose <laughs> the person that brings the idea yeah. has probably got the veto. Yes. Um, yeah. If you both come up with the idea in that session, in that moment, then maybe you know that's that belongs to both of you. But mm. um, I think it, you know you 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 have to be able to say, look, you know, I think this, we have some great ideas, but I don't think we've got the one mm. yet. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's keep working on this. You know? Yeah, that's really good advice. I'm sure people will find that helpful. I just was interested in the gap theme thing because I've heard you talk about that as a way of starting writing, and like I do, you know, I turn to your Chris Stingle song. For example, oh, right. you know, when you're doing Chris Dingle with kids and you've written a song on Chris Dingle. So I use it and I think people are very hesitant to write into those gap themes because they feel like, oh, but it's so niche. You know, when would anyone ever sing a Chris Dingle song? So have you, is, are there any particular gaps at the moment that you think people ought to be writing in or just have you, you know? If... Well, I think first of all, um, just because a song uh, doesn't, become a big song it doesn't mean it's not worth mm. writing you know um the reality is you know there are the, the christian faith the christian community there are lots of niche subjects um that we need something for maybe we just need it once a year or once yeah. every five years but we need it you know <laughs> and, and when you're writing you never know whether you're writing a niche thing or whether it's more but i think you know there is a danger isn't there of 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 having this wanting to write the big song yeah so forget that mm. write the song see what comes okay. you know and more more than that i think well probably the best niche the best <laughs> gap songs are going to come when people stop trying to write for um the market mm. if you like mm. um and start writing for their local community for their church and what's going on mm. what's happening in people's lives you know um where's what's what's the spirit of god saying to us you know what's the what's the preacher preaching about how can we support that you know it's the it's the life of the community yeah. and uh and, and suddenly you then you realize the value because you know if, if one person is going through a tough time and you write a song for them and it blesses them that song <laughs> has it has suddenly yeah. achieved eternal value yeah absolutely because you brought it forth out of the spirit by faith you gave it to them in love and that's that's eternal yeah you know you can't take that away from, you know that that can never be taken away um, so so i think that's a great place to start you know take um, on board people okay last <laughs> one um we're asking this to everyone that we're interviewing uh what song by somebody else there might be a number of them, but could you choose one where you wish you'd written it? So you think, oh, that's great. I wish I'd written that song. Not just because of the royalties, eh? No. <laughs> it can be one of those little tiny once a year ones. 
Of course, I, uh, you know, everyone would have loved to have written 10,000 reasons, okay, <laughs> I yeah, suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, oh, that's, that's, a very difficult, that's a very difficult question. Um, uh, I think I really admire songs like um, the uh, Water You Turn Into Wine, mm. you know, Our God, Our God is Greater. Because this is a great, really well-constructed song. Mm-hmm. Um, that immediately, you know, throws up images. Yeah. Water you turn as one, open the eyes of the blind. Suddenly the, you, the, the imagination is being yeah. sparked. That's We're true. not just getting the standard worship words, yeah. you know. Yeah. We're actually being taken on a, on a journey of the imagination, which songs mm. ought, to, ought to do. Um, and then, of course, you know, it's so well constructed and, and, uh, uh, and so, so very singable. Mm. Yeah, and that's why it gets used so much, and it'll last longer than, you know, songs have very short lives these days. Mm. But I think that was going to last longer, um, the most, um, because of those intrinsic, you know, qualities. Mm. Thank you, Graham. You're very welcome. Really appreciate that. And now I'm going to let you have a break, and then you're going to go and do something else. Yeah, that's right. Yes. (laughs) Really appreciate it. I'm really, really grateful. Thanks. So that brings us to pretty much the end of our podcast. Thanks, Sam, very much for joining in so um, intelligently, articulately and compassionately. And uh, we're going to finish with a featured song, which will be one of the ones that we mentioned in, the, uh, in our discussion in the workshop, the, uh, my, my confession song. Um, so it's, it's a song really that's designed to kind of to play that role, uses some of that kind of language that you might find in a in more liturgical confession and then has the, the chorus. Why does God forgive us? Ultimately, it's because of who he is. Do get in touch with us. We'd like to hear from you. Comment on what you've heard. Ask us questions. Send us tweets at Resound Worship, uh, facebook.com slash resoundworship.org or email us on podcast at resoundworship.org. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. We come to you in sorrow and in shame We fail to follow you again So humbly we confess with this refrain Lord have mercy The burden of our sin we bring to that were not pure or true For deeds that we have done or failed to do Lord have mercy away the stain of every sin and free us from the guilt within so trusting in this grace we boldly sing Lord have mercy
Because of who you are. 